0: All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Debate Night. We've got some very exciting topics to go over today. Um, Just want to introduce the cast to you. Returning as always, we've got Brody Smith.
1: Want to apologize to everyone. Last week, I went over my time multiple times, and I was too passionate with my responses. So I will be much more monotone and quick this week. All right. Uh, We got Hunter here.
2: Uh, I just would like to say that I'm sitting in a sauna, and I had an AC unit on to keep me comfortable and cool, and they made me turn that off, so now I'm miserable.
0: It was That's bad it. for production, and we would like to—everybody just keep an eye on Hunter in that bottom left corner. I might corner. pass out. Uh, we got Tyler joining us today. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Thank you for your sacrifice, Hunter. Appreciate that. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. And then joining us as well, the formidable Dustin.
3: You know, here as always, baby, just to do my job. What
0: can say? <laughs> All right. So we're going to we're going to jump right in with our first topic. This is one that I kind of plucked from social media. a Bit uh, I believe the original tweet was something along the lines of every time Terry Miller. And this is as close as I can get to the actual quote. But they said every time Terry, Terry Miller refers to Jacob Cordes as cupcake. The sport loses a bit of professionalism. This started a bit of a stir. A lot of people didn't really like that tweet. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on Grip Block, like the use of, of nicknames and commentary. And my question is, um, you know, does the use of these nicknames sound unprofessional? Is it an unprofessional look for disc golf? Is there a balance with the nickname situation? You know, how should it be handled? Uh, or is it just no big deal at all? You know, what, what should we really be thinking about this? Uh, Brody, what do you think?
1: i mean i think nicknames is a very common thing in sports Now, obviously there's a big difference between shortening of someone's name right and um an actual nickname for example baby shark just won this past weekend in the ufc and they mentioned her nickname multiple times throughout the telecast i think disc golf sometimes and maybe this is what the person was alluding to I think sometimes, and this happens in all, all, all commentary, but I think in disc golf specifically with people that maybe aren't uh, professionally trained or have gone into a commentary background, they sometimes hammer things in way too often. They just go back to the well and say it over and over and over and over again. So I kind of see if you're hearing Cupcake for the thousandth time in a broadcast being like it's a little bit overdone. I don't think Cupcake... Well, I didn't know what his name was actually before Cupcake, so like he might actually be a good example of he kind of goes by Cupcake. Um, I know you guys said on Griplocked whether or not like that is what he wants to be known by. I think the other thing too, the part that annoys not annoys me, but the part that I think needs to get fixed is when commentators have like these close relationships with some of these players, and like for example, Hunter. If I call Hunter Big Hunt. And no one else calls Hunter Big Hunt. If I'm on broadcast, and I'm like Big Hunt with the big putt, like people are gonna be like, "What the heck?" So there's a difference between like a common nickname that everyone understands that is what that person's nickname is, and like your personal nickname for someone. I know they start calling, uh, was it Deanne Carey that one tournament Diesel or something Diesel Yeah. And like everyone was like, everyone was like, "What? Where, where did this come from?" So I I think it just depends on the person, depends on the nickname. Popularity. Well, you were all you were on things. you
0: were on his card in Vegas, if I remember correctly. Not this, not like Vegas as in the Halloween tournament. Mm-hmm. Do you not remember? Like, well, how did he introduce himself? Well, no, I
1: I knew him before that. <laughs> okay. I got introduced, to, and I know the cupcake story. I'm trying to remember what it was. There. <sighs> Gosh, what so was like
0: it? if you were like if you had to make a call, like were you calling him cupcake? Yeah, oh hundred percent. Okay. 100%. Hunter, that's that's yeah. what I wanted to know. All right, Hunter, what yeah. do you think about the nicknames?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think nicknames in sports almost go hand in hand to a certain extent. Um, so I don't think it's that big of a deal at all. I mean, for example, we have Babe Ruth, Tiger Woods, King James, Magic Johnson, Booger McFarlane. None of those are their real names, uh, in case you weren't aware of that. Um, but I think where it does get iffy is in my experience is not so much terry i think there's other commentators ian comes to mind when they just refer to people as vinny i would imagine he would exclusively do cupcake uh trying to think of any other nicknames but uh where they exclusively refer to them is that emmer daddy gosh emmer daddy if i hear that one more time where (laughs) that gets like driven kind of to brody's point where it gets like pounded into your head um, I think that's more so where it becomes unprofessional. But if we're worried about the professionalism of the broadcast and the sport, I think that there's other things we need to be attacking before we get to this nickname issue.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Tyler, what do you think about the whole deal?
4: This made me laugh, just this question and then seeing the tweet. Um, I think, well, for one thing, and this is this is nothing against Terry. Terry does an incredible job of these tournaments of, of trying to provide coverage pretty much all by himself. But – criticizing the memorial as being unprofessional is a tough sell. Like it's not, the coverage of the memorial is not intended to be professional. Um, it's like walking into Chipotle and getting steak on your burrito and then sending it back because it wasn't cooked to your liking. Like it's, it's a tough sell for me. Um, but because Terry Miller is doing his absolute best. And so, but as far as nicknames go, um, I think we need more nicknames. I like the nicknames. I think it's fun. It may not be professional, but I think it's fun for disc golf. We need more. So I have a few I'd like to propose and see how they land <laughs> for you guys. We'll see if you want to use any more. So no. uh, since he's coming back and playing Waco this weekend, uh, I've got Nico Disastro. <laughs> okay. Um, for Gannon Burr, the baby giraffe.
0: I like that one.
4: I like that, that one. one.
0: I
2: like that. If you've
4: ever, you ever seen a baby giraffe, like, first learn how to walk, the, yeah. the, it's it's uncanny. This one I'm super excited about. Anthony... The ankle breaker, Barella. Oh.
0: AB, the ankle I like breaker. It. I like it. So, have,
4: more, nicknames. more nicknames in disc
0: golf. Okay. All right, okay. Dustin, more nicknames, less nicknames? I didn't get any of those. <laughs> How do you, you not didn't get, get the baby giraffe? The, you didn't get the ankle breaker? How do you the baby giraffe? Wait, what's the ankle did
3: breaker? He hit his, his, his ankles. ankles. What do you
1: mean? Yeah.
0: yeah. He in broke Vegas. his ankles. He didn't,
3: he didn't bro- break okay. it, but I'm sure he did feel really. good.
2: The disc.
0: His ankle. One threw. the The guy guy that got hit.
1: Oh. Come on, Brody. Okay,
3: okay, that was not a part of my time. We need to make that very clear. Yeah, sorry.
1: (laughs) That, That went way over my head.
3: All right. So for me with the nickname thing, first off, I just want to say the most important thing is how does the player want to be referred to as... Coming from a commentator background myself, like I always want to show respect to the player and what they want to be referred to. So that whether that's pronouncing their name correctly or if they have a nickname they want to go by, I think that's really huge. Um, and I think generally nicknames in disc golf is fine. Like we see it all the time. Now, granted, some of them are just shortened versions of their name, like Yuli or Big Germ. But when we have Albert the Bazooka Tam, I mean, we, we have a couple of little nicknames like that in disc golf where I think that it's fine. Uh, it's commonplace in MMA. I like Brody brought that up, that it's kind of like inserted kind of in the middle of their name, like Dustin the Diamond Poirier, for example. Uh, and then other sports have it too. Like Shaq used to be called the Diesel, if we're talking about the Diesel. Then you got Tyron Mathau, who's the Honey Badger, who currently plays in the NFL. Um, I think the issue with the Cordis one is just Cupcake sounds kind of silly, right? Like, it, it, it stands out more than other nicknames for that reason. But if he likes that name and that's how he's referred to normally, then I think it's fine to use it. What I will say, though, to kind of end it, is that, like, as a commentator, I try to make sure I do this, that you can't assume that the viewers know everyone's nicknames, right? They can get confused on who you're referring to when you're doing the coverage. And I think that's, like, more the issue rather than whether it's professional or not to use a nickname. So I think you have to make sure that you're you're balancing it uh, as a commentator, uh, balancing between the two.
0: Yeah, yeah fair point there. I, I think that is a key, is at least the first time you introduce the player, at the very least, making sure that you throw in that AKA, which I believe Terry Miller did do. Um, so credit for that. But I think that's the tricky part. Um, yeah, I love Hunter. I love Hunter throwing a Cupcake Cordis into the mix of Babe Ruth, Tiger Woods. That's that's my favorite. He's, he's
2: young in his career, man. Do you think
1: you think <laughs> when Tiger
2: Woods was first called that, he was already a goat?
1: Yeah. Cupcake Cordis actually sounds sick. I think if you went with that, it would actually sound way better if you just instead of calling him Cupcake. Yeah, uh, I see that.
2: Quick side note based on a comment to allude to, like, people were saying whether he likes being called that or not. Someone did say that he told the announcer at a tournament they were playing with him to call him Cupcake, like when I'm calling his name. So it seems yeah. like in this case he does he want to likes call it. that. He
1: Fair enough.
0: Um, all right, quick, quick points update right now. We got Brody and Hunter at four points, Tyler and Dustin sitting at three. Um, next topic, speaking kind of of the uh, AB ankle breaker situation, Uh, the PDJ currently has a rule that allows players provision in the event of intentional interference this would be like a member of the gallery jumping out and swatting a disc for example and that provision allows them either to play it from where it was contacted or to rethrow without a penalty Um, should they add a provision that relates to unintentional interference such as a volunteer being hit by a disc in bounds such as the AB hitting a rangefinder volunteer and landing in the hazard um, or is it just part of the game that's kind of the question here. Hunter, what do you think?
2: So, personally, like, I don't think they should add it. Um, I don't think that it should be a rule, but it almost needs to be based on, like, how do you how do you assume someone's intent in the gallery, whether it was intentional or not intentional. That's a very weird line to lay on the card of whether someone was supposed to be hit or not or was trying to hit the disc or not. But regardless... I think instead of a rule being in place, it should be more so a focus of the Pro Tour or the PDGA at Majors to make sure that the gallery and or volunteers are out of the way where they can't be hit. Or if they are hit, it was a very bad shot because you also have to think of ways that rules will be abused. And if you know that I, as a player, can hit a spectator and get a rethrow, there are chances of that being abused, of making like a more aggressive shot, knowing if it doesn't make it way back in. I might get a rethrow and you might be thinking, oh, that would never happen. Well, I can just point you to the foot fault rule and how that had to get changed because previously with the warning, it was a rethrow and why it ended up getting changed is There were several scenarios where two buddies are on a card, a shot would go OB and it'd be happened to be, that's the one that's called a foot fault. So I think you have to be a little bit logical with it, but already having an unintentional rule, you almost have to just because how do you determine someone's intent?
0: Yeah. The intent situation does make it weird. Tyler, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think this
4: is a situation where it's almost like a no brainer. You're kind of watching it happen, and we all we all saw what happened, and we all felt like, oh man, like there there should be some way that he should be able to absolve that. Whether it's a rethrow, um, I think the hard part, just because disc golf can be so wonky, and there are so many you know crazy, unpredictable bounces and things that can happen, is um, we're not going to be able to think of every situation and add a provisional for every situation that might happen. Um, just because again, it can be so wacky. My solution would be mulligans give each player one mulligan that they can use <laughs> at some point during the rounds like if it's a, if it's a it's a if it's a four tournament uh four round tournament a mulligan in the first two a mulligan in the second two and you you got one you can use it anytime you want um you got to use it before hole 16 so coming down the stretch there's the mulligans <laughs> in play but i mean that would have been a time where ab was like well i got to use it like this is my one mulligan other than that you got to play the course how it is if if somebody swats your disc down then I don't know. That's a different
3: different story, but I think Mulligans are the answer. Dustin Mulligans. We no think? Mulligans for me, buddy. No <laughs> Mulligans for me. Uh, like, look, I actually wrestle this a lot, so I'm I'm still not totally sure how I want to do it. Like, your gut reaction when you watch it happen is that it's heartbreaking to see it happen, and obviously we all love that it didn't happen, and we, we, we kind of I think naturally just want to see him somehow not be penalized and, and get and get through it. Um, but I think the main fix what happened to AB is not a rule change; it's more about personnel placement on the course particularly people who are inbounds on the course right now i think if you're a player and you throw over out of bounds you are taking that risk that it's not coming back right and yeah we need to make sure that we're keeping spectators away from being too close to the ob line that's more for their safety than anything else i think and, and so it just kind of turns into a big gray area so i think just out of bounds is like that you're taking that risk when you throw it now when we're talking about inbounds Yes, we should certainly have a rule for blatant interference, like some guy just runs up and grabs your disc and, like, leaves with it off the fairway. Like, yeah, obviously we have to have the situation rectify that. But let me ask you this. What if AB was definitely 100% going in the hazard and him hitting that guy stopped him from going in? Now, are we going to call unintentional interference and say he should be out of bounds or something like that? Like, I think it gets really murky waters when when you have that situation. We also aren't always going to have a clear view of what happened. Remember, we have video evidence here. We're not always going to have that on the course, right? Or maybe the players on the car are not always going to have the best view of what happened. What if it was a blind shot? Right Then how do you know if there was interference or not? And, and I do think the whole in- intent thing that Hunter brought up is, is, is an interesting one. But I think in this situation, it's such a rare occurrence. And there's a, there's a different solution than changing the rules, in my opinion, to help solve it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brody, how do you see it? Well, first off, Tyler might be on to something. If we're trying to increase these prizes, like these prize purses, that's an easy way of doing it is have everyone be able to spend hundreds of dollars on mulligans. Like you can buy a mulligan for $100. <laughs> there you go. And you might have some people spend a $1,000 on mulligans and all of a sudden now the price purses are tripled. But no, I don't think this is a rule. I think when it comes to deciding, like when I think like in a, of intentional interference, I'm thinking of like someone taking their hat off and throwing it up in the air to try to hit it. I'm thinking of a disc rolling and they kick it. I'm thinking of like something very blatantly obvious that the disc was going to do something different if it wasn't interfered with. Um, But I don't like the idea of adding in this rule because I I agree with a lot what was said earlier about how people could potentially use this um, to to kind of favor their positions in certain situations. I I would kind of disagree a little bit with what Dustin, Dustin was saying about You know if you do throw out of bounds you have to realize like or if you do throw excuse me like a shot that's out of bounds and you're hoping it to come back you have to realize like that's a risk you're willing to take i think it goes with what hunter was saying there are certain holes where we should have an idea of this is the shot shape this is what most players are going to be going for and if that is throwing a shot out of bounds and having it try to come back in we should not put spectators there, not just because they're going to get in the way of the disc potentially getting back in bounds, but also for safety reasons. Like, yeah. we should not be chucking discs over people on purpose. Um, I just think we've gotten lucky to where someone hasn't seriously got injured. You know, we're making jokes about the ankle breaker. I actually don't know if he broke his ankle, I don't know actually how he's doing. But my guess is like, if we keep going down this path of having more fans having more shots like this, someone could seriously get injured. And I think that's the last thing we're all looking for. I
0: I would say, I would agree. It's honestly surprising that people haven't gotten badly hurt. Sometimes you, you see throws towards the gallery. I think disc golf is unique uh, in the sense of in golf, that ball is going to be, I mean, you see people getting very close to golf shots in the gallery, but you're never really playing for ground play to get you back in bounds. The ball's airborne like the whole time for its flight. Most of the time, um, so it is different in the sense that you're right, Brody, there are certain holes that are designed where there might even be holes where players are almost always going to challenge the OB yes. and, and play for a skip, especially at Vegas when they know the skip is coming. So that may be something where it's like, hey, we need to make a gap here in the gallery because this is where most of the drives are going to be skipping. Um, but, you know, there is also, as to Dustin's point the player can see them all standing there. So they do know when they're throwing that way that they are there for better or for worse. So it is an interesting issue to see. Um, That's just kind of golf though, isn't it? You know, there's always going to be situations like that that are just part of the game. Um, All right. So a little points update before we move on. We got Brody sitting at six points, Hunter and Dustin at eight and Tyler at five. Moving into our next topic. Um, This is one that, uh, that kind of, I think is a little bit interesting it's something that i feel like has been kind of decided on by the public but i kind of want to bring it up in front of this panel Uh, we recently had the memorial championship go down this past weekend um you know that features birdie or die golf ended up in an exciting three-way playoff memorial has kind of taken off the tour it's kind of been decided as a consensus that this is not really the style of golf that's wanted out on tour a lot of hyzers a lot of birdies However, it's undeniably was a pretty exciting finish, very low scoring. So my question is, is there space for low separation, birdie or die events, such as the Memorial on tour? Or was the Memorial rightly removed? And should this style, of course, be discouraged? Tyler, lead off for us.
4: Yeah, I think there's definitely a place for it. And it's probably right where it needs to be um, in an A tier that's in between two, two elite events my understanding is that just a few years ago, it was part of the part of the pro tour. I haven't been watching long enough to know that, but that's it seems like that was the case. So, mm-hmm. um, but that being said, I, I think there was a lot of buzz around the event. I personally tried to get on and watch, and didn't realize that it wouldn't be, you know, covered until it would be post produced. And so, um, I think people wanted to watch it, and so I do wish there was, you know, better coverage for it. Uh, When we started recording today on Tuesday morning, the final round still was not posted. And I think people want to see what happened. So um, I do wish that that were different. Um, But I think it probably is is where it needs to be. You know, you look at the guys who were competing. You had three up and coming, not even up and coming, just elite young guys that were, you know, in this playoff. um, And it would have been exciting to see. But you look at who was in the tournament. We had only three of the top 15 players competing. And so it's not an event that a lot of these guys are trying to go compete in. Um, so it's probably not going to get any more coverage than it's already getting. Um, but I think anytime you have three of our up and coming, again, uh, elite, current elite players that are young competing in a playoff, it's a win for the sport. And I wish we could have seen it play out, um, if not live, then at least sooner than Tuesday morning.
0: Yeah, Dustin, what do you think about the Memorial?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as, as what he said. I mean, I think it was right to take it off the tour. I think it's fine to have this as like an A-tier or a silver event because, yeah, it does still require you to throw somewhat accurate shots and execute on the putting green. But I I don't see it doing what we want when we're ta- thinking about like an elite event on the Disc Golf Pro Tour where it's supposed to be the pinnacle of the sport. And I think that's where you need to lean more into the more demanding and more technical courses to give players more diverse challenges rather than just watching a Heiser Fest for 18 holes. Um, I think it's important to have like a mix in open wooded courses, but the wooded courses need to be fair. We need to be able to broadcast inside of them. And then with open courses, there still needs to be some challenge, whether that's a defined line that's optimal, or like a gap that you still need to hit or whether it's OB or hazards or water carries and so on and so forth. Um, or even like hybrid properties, right? You think of something like Wild that gives you a little bit of both. Or if you're at GMC, you get the contrast of those two courses. And I think that that is what we should really be leaning into to try to force people to have a variety of different shot shaping they have to do and just, you know, raise the skill ceiling of the sport, right? I think that, yeah, we can go out there with a bunch of talented players and have a bunch of people who shoot really high scores and maybe get into a playoff and yeah, maybe somebody's having an off day so they're just a little bit off on the putting green or whatever so they're not scoring as much but i think that what's the true test is to put these players on more difficult courses because only the elite players are going to have the skills to do well there and that's what we want to see in the disc golf pro tour in my opinion and it also comes down to entertainment i think it's just boring watching something repetitive as a viewer and this is an entertainment industry um so that's where i'm at
1: okay brody what do you think about the birdie or die stuff So the course was actually taken off tour because they weren't willing to shut down the park. So I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily, I mean, I'm I'm sure the playing style might have factored into it, but they weren't really the city and the people in that neighborhood weren't willing to shut down the park. And so the pro tour knew moving forward, they weren't going to be able to do anything there um, with kind of how their events have been run. Um, I will say if, Cause because Fountain Hills is birdie or die. It is the classic uh you gotta go out there and shoot in the low teens, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 to have a shot. Vista, on the other hand, I think Vista actually is a pretty solid course. There is a lot of scoring separation out there. There are a lot of bogeys to be had. And there also are multiple shots or multiple holes where you actually have to make a decision if do you want to be play aggressive? Do you want to play more conservative? You actually have to think a little bit more out there. So I like Vista. Are we allowed to say who won? Are we doing that on this? Yeah, well, we're going to talk about it later, so. Uh, Okay. Um, There's no chance if that tournament was four rounds at Fountain, there's no chance that Gannon wins. He was down 10 shots after two at Fountain. If they didn't go to Vista uh, for those last two rounds, no shot. So Vista has the scoring separation. With that being said, I'm not a huge fan of the birdie or die type of courses because – I think you're eliminating one of the biggest elements of disc golf and really, you know, let's break it down. Golf in general is the mental side, the side of where you have to think, what am I trying to do from this spot at no point at Fountain Hills? And even on a lot of the holes at Vista, you're walking up to the tee shot, already having an idea of exactly what you're doing every time. And you're never changing wind dependent. All that stuff probably doesn't really have that much of a factor There is stress involved with birdie or die, right? When you step up to a birdie or die course and know that you need to shoot 14, 15 under, there is that stress of like, holy cow, I've just, I've parred the first three holes. Like, oh my gosh. But to me, that's a completely different stress than stepping up to a hole and being like, last time I played this hole, I tripled this hole. Or last time I played this hole, like I could not throw the shot in bounds. So to me, those are two different types of playing styles. I think the one where it's like more stressful on the, decision making having to strategize having to figure that out is more interesting than the one of like showing up to a pup-pup course and being like i'm going to try to shoot my record today of 17 under par
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely two sides to it hunter what do you think about it
2: well i think it depends on the style of birdie or die because um, with the current skill level of the field i think birdie or die can look a lot different than the memorial so personally no i don't think there's a spot for the memorial or event similar directly to that one on tour, but I do think there's a spot for lower separation, lower scoring or higher scoring, however you want to look at that, out there on tour. Um, I think you can accomplish this with like maybe a little less OB, easier pin placement, some wider gaps, where it still has the decision making like Brody is bringing up. But the, for the top of the field, it's still you got to score, you got to get out there, you got to be aggressive because if not, you know you're going to be left in the dust. I mean, for example, we've seen Paul McBeth go 18 under at a tough course, and we saw him go 16 under at WR Jackson. Those are birdie or die scores on far from birdie or die courses. I'm not saying either of those courses are birdie or die, but as the game evolves, as the game pushes, you're going to see courses that still have the separation of the elite rising to the top, but there won't be much separation between them. I think that is still exciting. It's not boring like the Heiserfest Memorial is. I think there's a spot for that in the sport. So birdie or die, yes, but not in the traditional sense, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, good point. I I think you're right. There's a way to achieve that excitement of the low scoring event uh, without just having it be the wide open, you know, Heiser course that doesn't really, I mean, I I like watching Memorial every year, but as I look through the coverage, I felt my, all the holes kind of melting into one before my very eyes. And I was kind of like, okay, uh, I think I think I'm starting to outgrow this a little bit now that I've seen so many cool courses. Um, all right, quick points. I, I, I on was this. just to say okay. I
1: hope they find a way of figuring out because like the Memorial is one of those courses that we talk about like having history and having yeah. like legacy. Oh yeah. So I hope they try to find a an alternative course or something to like get it back on tour because it like you said for an A tier, so many people talk about it and watch it. Uh, it'd be nice to try to find a, a way of getting it back on tour. Somewhere. Yeah,
0: it's probably probably the biggest tournament that has been like kind of yeah. removed from the main the mainstream for sure. Uh, quick points update before we head into our final subject before the rapid fire round. We've got Brody at nine, Hunter and Dustin at twelve, and Tyler at eight. Heading into our last topic, this is a very open ended topic. Uh, this is actually a question that came from one of our Patreon members asked a, a similar question on our mailbag podcast, and we decided to uh, I decided to bring this one into the show because it's it's very interesting. So the question is this, if a venture capitalist were to propose a donation of $20 million somewhere in the disc golf industry to further the sport, where would it be best invested? Dustin
3: Right. So I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Like if you're trying to grow the sport in the sense of growing the player base, then I think there's one route to go. And if you're thinking about just improving the professional scene, there's a completely different route to go. So one road could be investing in disc golf at like the college and high school level to help kind of grow the player base, to help bring up new talent from the amateur level and to just, You know, think that those are going to be maybe future pros or future fans or future viewers and and just grow the community at large by supporting the amateur ecosystem. But I think if we're trying to grow the pro scene, I think investing the money in the disc golf pro tour infrastructure would certainly be a way to go. You know, investing into coverage, I think, is probably one of the biggest ways to start because then you can have more cameras, better cameras, more production crews, which means you can maybe run more than one stream. So that way people can see more of the golf that's going on on the course and pick and choose what they want to watch. And what that does is that means that you could have one stream that is always free. Because that's what we've always talked about, right? It's like you know, taking away the threshold, the barrier to entry. So you could have one stream that is totally free at all times to help really raise up the viewership, which can help with sponsorships and stuff down the line. But then your diehards who are willing to pay for a premium service can still do so, and they get to watch the bonus cards or something like that that the free people aren't able to watch. So I think that's kind of one way to look at it. Uh, also, it opens up the idea of media mergers, so bringing everything under one umbrella if you're able to buy certain companies out and start white-labeling them, I think is another big one. And then, obviously, the purse is another big one, right? You know, it, it helps bring more attention to the sport. You're going to see more headlines if more millions of dollars are on the line, and it's going to make it feel like a more viable career pursuit for amateur players. You know, that's something to look up to that, like, hey, there's really some serious money there to be made.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of good spots there. Brody, where would you have that money spent?
1: So, I said this before the show. I think this is one of the more fascinating questions that disc golf, like in the disc golf space right now. I have no idea what the right answer is. Um, nice. Like Justin was saying, you can kind of go all sorts of different routes. Would that be the best? I have no flipping idea. Um, I think the most interesting answer, as far as just to see what kind of chaos would happen, would be to just literally take the 20 million into 20 events and at each event you're playing for a million dollars and uh now obviously that money runs out real quick right you have one year of this and then all of a sudden it's just poof gone like the idea like that probably isn't the smartest way long term you probably would want to kind of see you know that longer for a five-year plan 10-year plan potentially but It would be interesting to see because if you remember like the Paul Macbeth 10 10 for 10 mil, that got picked up quite a bit by news outlets outside of disc golf. And I think sometimes when you are in smaller niche sports, you kind of get in this trap of you think the sport is a lot bigger than it actually is. And when you step outside for a second, you realize that no one is talking about disc golf unless they are in disc golf. And so this would be an interesting, I think, experiment, experiment of if you start making these purses crazy to the point of where now, like people are gonna be like, wait, you can make a million, like you get, or, you know, $500,000 in a weekend playing disc golf. I think it could get picked up here and there. And then the other thing that would be interesting is, would there be a big shift in younger athletes looking at disc golf as a viable option in the future? Um, I think those two things would be fascinating, but like I said, you also might just want to throw it somewhere else and see what the heck happens.
0: If you, if you really had the 20 for 20 situation, 20 events with $1 million purse, you would probably see a group of athletes like never before pick up disc golf just to see if they could cash if the purses were that big. Like, I think it would be insane.
1: Yeah, especially when it's like you could just like randomly Monday qualify or something into these events. Yeah, Yeah, it'd be nuts. Hunter, where would you spend it?
2: Well, I think if someone's making this donation, you have to recognize in disc golf, or I I wouldn't really say donation. I guess it should be, if someone's investing this into disc golf, you have to realize this is a one-time thing. We're we're not going to come buy this money Ever again, so we have to think through how do we maximize the long term effect of this money? Because yeah, it would be electric to have a twenty million dollar tour championship purse; uh, it would be insane, but probably not best for the f- growth of sports. So in my mind, it comes through investing in first and foremost. I think live coverage equipment, like Dust- Dustin said, I think that would be go a long way. Um, also, event development and resources. Uh, I can explain what that looks like in a little bit, but the big thing I think would be purchasing and developing land for home of either one of the majors or the tour championship where we can set it up to be the end all be all. I mean, I just heard this morning that Waco is even looking at possibly going to a golf course in the future. They are the golf course future of the sport is because there's so many amenities that are specific and useful for disc golf, but I don't like that long term, And I think if we could use some of that money to develop that land, but other things you could do is like, buy multiples of the assets you need at these events have a storage facility west coast midwest east coast and cut down some costs long term as well you got to think through stuff like that of what can we improve quality cut cost and make it much more sustainable long term for the pro tour so there's a lot of things you could do with it but 20 million dollar tour championship could be electric <laughs> I, i'm just thinking like if you had if you threw it at the
0: purses like man you'd you'd, you'd really hope that season was your good season you'd hope you have like yeah. a, a simon like four win season and like there's your retirement um, Tyler, where would you have the money spent?
4: Well, this is so fun to think about. The best I could I could find the PDGA is only worth about five million dollars as it is, and so getting a twenty million dollar donation on top of this is just like it, it's hard to even think about. You know how how much good this could do, but um, to not rehash the things that already been talked about, of course, you know, of course it's it's broadcast equipment, it's it's supporting the players. Um, I think continuing continuing to innovate the gear we use, continuing to innovate disc technology. Uh, whether it's just, um, you know, we've talked about flight numbers being inconsistent. Maybe you look at, you know, some sort of a flight number um, uh, process where they're more consistent, but you just keep improving the discs we have. I mean, you, you could see guys begin to throw, man, 700, 800 feet consistently if our gear keeps innovating. That could be super exciting. Uh, a couple just rapid fire ideas because I'm at the bottom of the leaderboard here and I just want to throw a couple of Hail Marys out there. Um, I think I think youth outreach is a big part. Uh, Dustin mentioned this, high school, college, you know, making it a primary sport in high school to where more kids are exposed to it. Um, I think I it could be awesome. I think a web series or a TV series where uh, PDGA pros take pro athletes and coach them up to play disc golf. And then you have this massive... Uh, prize that they compete in a tournament at the end, these pro athletes, and then they can you know use it for donations or whatever. But just getting more eyes on the sport, um, I think it, part of my new innovations idea um, would be developing like Top Golf but for for disc golf. I think that'd be super exciting. And I think you need money to invest in making that possible. I don't know how that would work. It's not the question. The question is, how would we invest it? <laughs> I think you invest it there. Um, and then finally, high-quality nicknames for the top 50 NPO players and top 25 FPO players
0: would be a great investment. <laughs> I think you actually I think you actually hit the nail there. Um, you mentioned the the TV docuseries. $20 million, it would be kind of an all-in situation to be like, all right, this is our one chance to get that Netflix documentary that takes us to the next level but the power of that is undeniable and that could be a, a sneaky who would good they one. follow
1: who would you want to see 24 oh hour access
2: i think I, trevor had the idea on yeah. Rick Lock, and i think it's genius of the the uh difference between like a player like paul mcbeth or ricky wysocki touring that has the million a year contract and then like I'm not gonna mention yeah. the name, but like a bottom of the barrel throw that's grinding. One it. of each,
0: and then you get the contrast. I think that like would be. Like a prince and a
1: popper situation. Yeah,
0: people would be <laughs> fascinated to see go from like I'm flying out first class to to Waco versus I just drove here in my Prius and I'm making beans in the backseat, <laughs> you know, Ezra throwback style. Like I think I think that would fascinate people. Yeah. Um, yep. But the the cutting cost infrastructure. Hey, I think we have all the good ideas.
1: So and, I think Hunter know. had his best answer of debate night history. That was a good answer. Which
0: One Hunter was eating.
1: No, the, no, no the last one. No, the last one. <laughs> that
0: was the a, last was question.
1: Good I think that was your no, best. No, no, no. I
2: was saying like which part of it. Just my. I answer, think all, all of it. I think all oh, of it. I think you. if
1: I think if you're like trying to be on the board, which I don't know if that does anything, but if you're trying, you have my vote. Hunter for board of directors. Let's start the <laughs> campaign right now.
3: Trevor, uh, are you a mole? Where we were just like free consultants for this golf? Yeah, am, yeah, it seems okay. like
0: it. I, I I'm actually am taking a very large okay. payday. I can't. Okay. I, surely, that, that's a, that. I'm kidding. Let it's me a get my think tank there's together. Too many, there's, too many a of <laughs> there's too many lawsuits. There's too many going around right now. That I feel like I have to tell everybody that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
3: all right. Well, you're allegedly. allegedly game. Paid. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: you're yeah. Allegedly, allegedly game. Paid. No, there's not even alleged. Alleged? No, it's alleged. It's alleged. Um, all right, well, Hunter and Dustin are in the lead at 16, tied up, so we're going to head into our rapid fire round. It's a tale as this
3: as time, isn't it, it, Hunter? It is. We're back in there, again. T- today's <laughs>
0: rapid fire round is brought to you by the Heiser Club. Shout out to all of our Heiser Club members part of the Foundation Disc Golf Patreon program. If you go to patreon.com slash foundation disc golf, you can check out the Heiser Club. We have a few different tiers where you can check out things such as exclusive weekly podcasts and exclusive monthly videos. We've got a special store, special um, discounts that you can get through that program. And right now, if you sign up, you can get a 30-day free trial to try out all the benefits and see if it's for you without paying anything. So if you want to check out the Heiser Club, patreon.com slash foundation disc golf, make sure to check that out. We're into our rapid fire round now. We've got some pretty good topics here. Um and we've got Hunter and Dustin all tied up at 16. It's another duel. Are you guys tied in wins right now if I remember correctly? Or is it is it 2 to 2?
2: Overall two wins, one. yes. Okay. He's up 2-1 on me. Okay. Two so one, there's head, something, head, 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 we're something head to head, head. We're something to, same of something of weapons,
0: something to fight about. for here for I'm sure. I'm fighting here. Yeah, all I'm right, first, first topic and I think this is actually a topic we may have to bring back. I kind of thought of this one but I it was rehashed for me when I was watching the first event of the year, and I was kind of just like, hmm, not so sure about that. Uh, and it's been talked about a lot before, but the question is should players be allowed to wear headphones during the round? Why or why not? Um, actually, well, you know, we'll do this the way we did it before since you guys are tied up. I'm thinking of a number between 1 and 10. Dustin, what do you think it is? Six. Hunter? Four. The number was six yet again. Dang Dustin, it. would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. Okay, so Dustin, lead off for us. Headphones, why Why not?
3: All right, so the current rule basically says that your volume level is supposed to be not be able to be heard by other players, that it's not supposed to prevent you from your duties as a scorekeeper and like watching what's going on for provisionals and all that jazz. And it's also a safety thing where you should be able to still hear floor calls And that if you fail to be able to do these things, then you're going to get penalized as a courtesy violation. I think that there's so many gray areas there. Like, how do I know if this person can still hear everything, if they are still able to be safe? You know, yeah, obviously I can know whether I can hear their music or not. But when it comes to these other gray areas, I feel like it's a little bit hard to know. Also, there's the whole performance enhancing aspect where it could help with your mental game, help you deal with distractions or like pressure. But it's also uh, like a metronome to help you with swing tempo. Or how do we know they're not getting information from someone up the fairway about the wind or something like that? Right. We don't know what they're hearing. Like, how are you going to enforce that throughout the course of a tournament or around or what have you? So I think the way to avoid all these gray areas that I'm speaking of is just to get rid of them. I think that's just the easy solution.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good points there, Hunter. What do you think?
2: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think that they should be allowed. Um, I don't like the optics of it. I also think it could provide an advantage, but I don't think either of those two reasons are the reason to get rid of them. I think it's more so kind of what Dustin was alluding is like, there's a reason that all those rules aren't what the rules are when you're driving a car because like you can't have headphones on when you're driving a car because you gotta be aware of what's going around you. You gotta be aware of the police coming up behind you when you can hear them, and yeah, you can make all these statements of X, Y, and Z restrictions on volume level restrictions on blah 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 a lot easier for you to say hey you can't have them in i mean you see this in running races like lower level races c tiers as far as like pdga goes who cares when you get to higher end races you got to have them out because you got to be aware of what's going on around you and it also gets rid of the possible mental advantage where you got to just be out there battling yourself battling the course so no i don't think there's any room for headphones in in actual rounds
0: yeah i think i think um it's about the kind of potential because do I firmly believe that probably every player using headphones right now is just listening to music to calm their nerves? Yes. And do I think that's a huge deal? No, not really, because it's accessible to everybody. However, the issue comes into play, like Dustin mentioned, uh, the idea of the metronome as a training aid. Like, is that something we want allowed allow, training aids in, in, a, in a tournament round? And then the bigger one, how do we know somebody, a coach isn't on the other end, giving them... Like, hey, I'm breaking down video right now of your last throw, and I'm telling you what you just did wrong. Or I'm standing down the fairway, and by the way, the wind is a crosswind up here. Like, there there are some serious implications, and I think that's why people on social media will be quick to be like, they're just listening to music. It's not a big deal. Well, it's about what could happen. So uh, I I think there's some good points there. Um, All right, point number two. uh, Right now, Dustin has a one-point lead after the first topic. Hunter, you'll lead off here. Uh, So Gannon won the Memorial, an A-tier. Uh, we know how Hunter feels about A tiers. Should we care about this and how much? Hunter,
2: first off, you don't know how I feel about A <laughs> tiers. You know how I feel about silver events. You uh, said a it's very yesterday. basic to mi- it's very it's very easy to mix those two up because they both don't matter. So, my question <laughs> is why aren't we mentioning Joel Freeman's win at the Crush on the Congo or whatever it's called? also had some big names there. If we look at the strength of the field angle, it also had a decent strength of field if you're considering A tiers. But the deal is, Stat Mando gave Vegas a strength of field of 67. Gave the Memorial only a 23. The only reason we're bringing it up is it has history. You take away the history, it's just another A tier. And guess what? We're all going to forget who won it a few weeks from now anyways. Uh, Should we care? Yeah, it was cool. We saw the future of the sport on display. But the top guys weren't there. We can't really care that much. All right,
3: all
0: right, Dustin, do you care?
3: (laughs) I care a small amount because obviously I think for me it's the gain and bur story angle where he's clearly going through a lot at the moment and so for him to be able to score a win in that situation I think it's like kind of at least a promising look for him that it's not impacting him and hopefully that means he's going to be set straight for the rest of the tour. Um and there were a couple of decent players there but it wasn't a total walk so it wasn't a total walk in the park is kind of what I'm getting at but the bottom line is is that Burr was the only player ranked in the top 10 at the tournament. And there were only three other top 20 players in attendance. That was Isaac Robinson, A.B., and Drew Gibson. So super weak field overall. It's a super soft course. And so at the end of the day, I'll give Burr some credit for getting a win due to what he's going through. But, I mean, it was a weak field, a weak course, all that jazz. Like, yeah, I don't really care too much.
0: Yeah, I I think you guys – Kind of nailed it. It, it, It's something to be said to be the players that were there, but you can never really judge it when the strength of field is that low and and the style, of course. But you're right, though, also, Dustin, with with what's going on with Gannon, I think anywhere he is, especially the beginning of the season, is going to be interesting to look at. Um, All right, we're all tied up at 23 going into our last subject here. We'll see uh, who can give the most convincing argument, I suppose. Who is the player to watch at Waco this weekend? Dustin.
3: All right, so I'm going to pick – I know it's kind of the obvious one, but it's going to be Kristen Tatar. Uh, And the reason for this is, first of all, she's coming off of injury. So we don't know what kind of condition she's in. This will kind of give us a look at how healthy she is. Also, she hasn't played since the Pro Tour Championship last year. So she didn't play any wraparound events, any local events to tune up her game, anything like that. So we don't know where her game is at right now, uh, which is interesting to see at Waco. Also, last year at Waco, she was the runner-up. She lost to Valor Amanda Hano. So now it'll be like, well, can she get the win this year? Like, it, can she start off with a dub? Um, and I think the bigger pro- thing that we're looking at is, can she keep up the consistency from last year? Because it's incredible. She never placed outside of the podium at Elite Series or higher events for the entire season. That's a bonker streak not to mention the amount of cash that she pulled in along the way being like a crazy like, achievement. So it's like, can she actually keep that up? Can she do that again? Because if that's the case, all of a sudden you're shifting that GOAT argument quite a lot uh, you know, in future years so she can keep this up. So that's where I, I'm at.
0: I, I, yeah, I mean, when you're trying to compare to last season and the standard is you can't finish off the podium at this event, it's pretty early. It's going to set in pretty quick. Hunter, who do you, who's your player to watch at Waco?
2: So for me, Waco is always a wild one. So I more so look at this event less as a tell of what the top talent's doing. And more so like this is a great chance for a player to have a breakout win or at least a breakout performance. I mean, we've seen Colton Montgomery do it. We've seen Kona Panis do it. Luke Humphries almost did it. Um, we've seen a lot of weird winners out there. So I'm going more so just gut. This player has also been he played pretty solid at Vegas. Rough year at Waco last year, but historically decently solid at Waco. And that's Emerson Keith. Um, I think Waco, especially if you look at the statistics, there's not one, stand, one stat that you have to be really good at out at Waco. You just have to have an overall very solid, very put-together game. And Emerson can be streaky, but we saw it at 2019 Worlds. When he's at his best, he has a very solid, very put-together game. And for some reason, I don't have stats for this one. My gut is just telling me that we're about to see the streaky Emerson Keith come out. And I think he's going to actually have a chance of taking this thing down. So I really like Waco as the one that... You know, it can just be your, your one big event, one big win. I think that might be Emerson's this weekend.
0: You know what, Hunter? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you. You had a great show today. I'm gonna give you the I'm gonna give you the edge. I like Emerson as well. Um I think and I think his good showing at Vegas um points to potentially keeping up that momentum too, has it on his side. Um so you know what, Hunter put together a great Ember show. Emmer daddy. <laughs> Dustin Dustin always I was hoping you'd say it. Dustin yeah, thought, is always with a great fight, but, uh, but Hunter, you had a few answers there in, in that tournament that was just, uh, they were just tough to beat. They were tough to beat. So I'm going to give it to you today, 28 to 27, uh, I believe. So that evens up the series now, two to two between you guys. So that, that's something that you're going to have to keep an eye on if you're a fan of the show as, as it goes on. Every time Hunter and Dustin end up in a battle, it ends up very close and I get very anxious <laughs> about, about who's going to win. Um, all right, Hunter, victory lap. What do you have to say?
2: Yeah, I kind of want to respond, actually, to Brody's beginning. Um, I saw a lot of the comments, too. We got heated last week. And, you know, I just want to take this chance to apologize to absolutely no one. The triple champ does what the—I'm just kidding, man. It was a great time. I always love being able to be on this show. And, uh, you know, I'm glad i have taking it down again.
1: I love how you messed that up. It's the double champ.
2: But I'm a triple champ now.
1: Sorry. Oh, okay. Brody. Oh, you didn't mess it up. I'm- I, I okay. didn't mess it, it up, I right now. I stay I'm, I'm
0: yeah. bad with nicknames, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well that was another episode of Debate
1: Night. Um, another- I didn't try and nickname myself tentacles my freshman year. See, and, that's the type and, of stuff
2: we need to come out and on this
1: show. Ultimate it <laughs> did it did not stick. They I, was the, one, I was, was the only like one I was the only one calling
2: tentacles myself now. tentacles. Yeah, we'll bring
0: a tentacle stamp disc coming soon.
2: Yeah,
1: tentacles coming soon. Uh-huh. That would be a sick disc with like an octopus just all over the place. All right, calm down. There we go. All right, all right. All right. Brody Brody is I'm an octopus. got to well,
0: stick first? If you make it stick, then we can maybe we'll look. I could do it in college. Yeah, this is you got no another chance. chance now. All right, Not another maybe. shot. Well, um, another episode with uh, the cast: tentacles, Tyler, Dustin, and Hunter. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again in the next episode next week. Uh, if you're looking at the show and you think you'd like to audition, we're always looking for new cast members. Make sure to reach out to us so we can have you try out. Um, other than that, we'll see you next episode.